Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com, our first high school football roundtable of the season is coming up today. That means the season starts tomorrow. Tremendous. So before we get to the beauty and the majesty of how great high school football is, let's take a trip to the Depression Locker. And get the rants of the day. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, who's depressed right now is the San Francisco 49ers. Well, somewhat, I guess. Because their precious third-round pick that they traded up for that I thought was stupid to begin with because this guy was in a Division I AA at the time level, FCS level, hardly had one glorified preseason game, if you will, for himself before the draft and Trey Lance, and he hasn't done a thing. First of all, he hasn't stayed healthy, but he hasn't done a thing since, even on the field. So I hope this is a lesson for everybody who tries to overvaluate quarterbacks. I know you need a quarterback to win in this league. I get it. But if you overvaluate them and you give up the farm, then it sets you back. Now, luckily with the 49ers, it looks like they might have a guy in Brock Purdy who, of course, was great last year, led him to the NFC title game, and he's now since come back and is the starter again. But the fact that this guy couldn't even win the number two job right now behind Brock Purdy tells you something. So, and what a mistake this was. So I hope there's NFL teams out there that need a quarterback are taking this as as a good learning lesson because... Yes, you need a quarterback, but if you overvalue these types of quarterbacks, like we've seen the last several years now, you are going to pay for it. I think where they're paying for it, other than your usual over-emotional, over-the-top rant. <laughs> Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Do you take medication now? I'm just asking. Just... <laughs> Asking for the audience, friends, and so forth. Uh, this is where you are seeing with the NFL that sometimes you get enamored with potential when less, when the prospect gives you the idea less is more. So let me give you an example. And this is not to pick on him, because it's not like he's not talented. He is. Uh, But let's go back to when the Bears drafted Mitchell Trubisky. What was the key factor in drafting Trubisky? He was a starter for one season. He flashed 
mobility, arm, and then did a great job in his workouts and combine. So he gets the second overall pick. He goes to Chicago. Now, it's not as if Mitchell Trubisky is not talented. He is. He's talented. But because he flashed that in one season, and this is something that's interesting, because Jack Ham and I have talked about this privately several times about different quarterbacks. I remember the first guy we really talked about in this vein was Tommy Stevens. And Tommy was still at Penn State. So we thought that at the time when Trace McSorley was done, that Tommy could get his shot, be the quarterback for one year, go to the draft, and as we said, be a Mitchell Trubisky. In other words, one year, less is more. And in a lot of ways, Trey Lance was like that. As you know, Neil Kulong is a North Dakota State grad and was big on Trey Lance, but Lance played one year plus one game in 2020 when the world was haywire. North Dakota State played one game to showcase his talent. And in watching that game, I thought, okay, he's good, but I didn't I wasn't wowed by him. And the same thing with Trubisky when he was at North Carolina. I watched him in a bowl game. You know, there was a big buildup and look at this guy, he could be a top ten pick. I'm like, okay, well I really hadn't really had a chance to watch him a lot. So I watched him, and in the bowl game, I, I watched him. I thought, well, he's good, but I mean, like, I don't think he's great, but he's you know, at least in this game, he was good, right? I mean, but the whole setup, though, was a joke. Right, right but it, it, it's, it, please, stop. What's a joke? What's, Be- what's the joke? I mean, it, it's, it was basically set up for him to succeed. Yeah, he's playing right. his teammates, yeah, but know, like. I know, I know, I know, but that's not his fault. Okay? Yeah, I'm talking about the evaluation process. Okay, I'm not talking at all about his part. What 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 did he do, Matt, that was so disingenuous? Uh, yeah, it, it's not his fault per se, but I'm terms of, in terms of evaluating him, I don't take anything from that because it was set up for him to succeed. If I would take the only thing I would take away from that is if he performed poorly right. in that situation because it's all was, set up for him to succeed. But he was good, not great in it, so he kind of to me succeeded only to a point. I didn't quite see it. I was like, okay, well, okay, he's got talent, he's got a big arm, and he can he can run. All right. But look at Brock Purdy. Okay, well, let's let's take a more recent example, and then we'll get to Brock Purdy in a moment. Sean Clifford ends up being the fifth-round pick of the Packers. He's a four-year starter at Penn State. And you see everything. Okay, you see everything. You say the great days. You see the tough days. And there's, you know, there's the ups and downs that you see over time instead of getting one successful season. And so you see, I mean, when the Packers drafted him, 
What was the mystery about him? Nothing. Nothing. C.J. Stroud gave you two good years of tape. Okay, Bryce Young gave you two good years of tape. All right, Will Levis gave you one really good year of tape and one mediocre year of tape. All right, but when you like, so now we will get to Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy was a four-year starter at Iowa State, and you saw the really great days, and you saw the days where it just wasn't happening. Right? And so how does a quarterback like that bounce back from a tough game? How does a quarterback like that fight through a tough day? How does a quarterback with a change in personnel react from year to year? Yeah, with Brock Purdy, there was no mystery when he went to the 49ers. Zero. Except when he got to the 49ers, he had a better offensive line. He had a better running back. And he had, between Ayuk, Samuel, and Kittle, he had better receivers. He had to be looking around thinking, I hit the freaking jackpot here. This is great. (laughs) It's like, hey, all right. (laughs) I didn't have this at Iowa State. But you knew what he could and he couldn't do. You knew after watching him for four years what his ceiling happened to be. You knew what his limitations happened to be. You also knew how he handled the lows because you had a lot of tape to go by. When you're in a situation like Lance was at North Dakota State, or let's go back to the original Mitchell Trubisky, I always ask myself, why was the other guy starting if this guy is the prospect of all prospects? Why? Why did he have to wait on the bench to get to this point? Because the guy at North Carolina, Williams, was not an NFL prospect. So what was what was happening in practice, and maybe it's part style of play too, that leaned the North Carolina coaching staff pre Mac Brown to Williams as the quarterback and not Mitchell Trubisky. And those are questions that you know that you need to have asked along the way. I can tell you why Sean Clifford was the choice over Will Levis here, and I've done it on the show. I saw it with my own eyes. Why? Okay, And I like Will. It's not like I don't like Will. I like Will a lot. Great guy. I think terrific arm, great release. Right? But what are his limitations? He, he throws too many interceptions. And for a guy that's a really terrific power straight-ahead runner, he doesn't throw as well on the run. Like, that's just an honest evaluation of watching him in practice every day you know, for a couple of years. Right? Well, the same thing with this. When a guy is playing all the time, the speed of the game, and again, as Bill O'Brien has often said, had often said to me, said, Steve, the jump from high school to college is huge. The jump from college to the pros is a, is, is a chasm. But at least you you have a quarterback that has been going through game speed over and over and over again. And it does make a difference. I think it's easier to evaluate a Brock Purdy and a Sean Clifford because you have loads of tape to show what they can and what they can't do and what they're great at and what they might be limited at. 
as opposed to it's a little more of a guessing game with a Trey Lance because of the limited time he played and the fact that he was, with all due respect, going up against FCS competition. I mean, I think that that enters into a lot. I mean, and did the 49ers all over, overvalue it? I can understand what the thinking is. The thinking is, look, this guy has a big arm, and he plays a little differently than the other guys. We feel we can incorporate that style and really get teams off balance. But he has to make it pay off, and he hasn't. I mean, look, you got lucky with Jalen Hurts. Second-round pick, just like Seattle got lucky with Russell Wilson. Third-round pick. Wilson had a ton of experience starting at North Carolina State, starting at Wisconsin. Hertz had starting experience at Alabama and starting experience at Oklahoma. Those guys played. right? Not a little. They played a lot. You can't get better unless you're playing. I'm sorry. You cannot get better unless you're playing. But it's really, I think it's the great part about this segment is it feeds into your hate for life. <laughs> no, but your your points are well taken. I, I've I've actually never didn't really quite think about about it that way before, but it's absolutely true. I feel like I've served a purpose on the show today. <laughs> oh my almighty! There are certain things that you do look for in quarterbacks. One is I do want to see a couple of years of, of tape. You know, it's kind of seeing 12, 13 games. Okay. All right. And the other part is, is um, I want to know if they won. Like Jared Goff, first overall pick in the draft by the Rams. Okay. Um Cal did not have a winning record when he was their quarterback. Now, in the NFL, Jared Goff has been a good quarterback. He hasn't been a great quarterback. He's been good. Uh, And I don't want to take anything away from a guy that's quarterbacked the team into the Super Bowl, which he did. And he's been good, like okay to good, but not great. And that's kind of tip off of what we saw at Cal with him as an example. Uh, Daniel Jones with the Giants. Now, he hasn't had much of an offensive line around him or receivers. He's had Saquon Barkley, and Barkley really helped him out last year. But Daniel Jones was a 500 quarterback at Duke, too. Now, Duke is Duke, and Cal is Cal. But they didn't lift their teams in college to great heights. So... The, the winning record, losing record as a starting quarterback is usually something I take a look at sometimes. Like, did the team win with them? Did he lift them a couple, three wins above what their talent happened to be on the team? And your disdain for America shows so often in these segments.
Is that what you really think? <laughs> I always give oh. you my honest opinion every day. Oh, and I knew what the play-by-play call was going to be. All right? In a thoroughly, completely meaningless game, a guy who has had nothing but warning track power for about three weeks hits three home runs in the game, and we're going to celebrate it like it's the greatest thing going when there's meaningful baseball being played? Really? There's meaningful baseball being played, and I knew we were going to get this clown show. I knew we were going to get the clown show today. He hit three home runs. He's a Yankee. That that's nice, and that means they're still in last place. Okay, good. I knew you were going to do it. Man crush, man crush. I'm telling you, people. Come on, admit it. You got a man crush. <laughs> admit it. In this case, it's just acknowledging that the yeah. That's, acknowledging what that I mean, your guy hit. I'm telling you right now, if a member of the Miami Marlins hit three home runs and Judge hit two, we'd have had Judge highlights. I would have gone with the with the Marlins guy. No, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't even know who the Marlins guy is. <laughs> Come I may on. not, but I'd still play him. <laughs> no, you wouldn't even bother doing it. I no mean, three way. home runs and six RBIs in one game is still three wow. home runs and six RBIs in one game. He Thank may never goodness. do it again. Thank goodness he did it because it snapped a nine-game losing streak. What a roll you're on. Well, his, I, I, I've been his, trust. His, his three home runs are more runs than the Yankees have scored in the month of August. Exactly. Trust me, I've been plenty sarcastic about this whole thing because I, I, I said a couple times Clown on Twitter show. last night, it took, show. It took nine, a nine-game losing streak <laughs> to, Clown. To, show. to hit Clown. three home runs. Clown show. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm I'm just acknowledging the accomplishment that was still made regardless of the situation. I'm surprised in the one hitter last week you didn't play DJ LeMayu's hit. <laughs> no, senor! No, senor! No, senor! Clutcho. Judge hits three home runs. Yankees still in last place. Yes, that is true. And now you have Shohei Otani torn UCL. Yeah, that's a shame. It we'll is. see if he can still hit, though. Yeah, it's going to be up to them as to as to what they want to do about the surgery. You know, if he has the surgery, then he's out. Um, it's up, you know, it's going to be up to him, them, and who knows what it does about his contract. It's another side story, but you know that's part. And he's already undergone Tommy John once. He went underwent Tommy John in 2018. So this will be the second time through. Not easy. All right, we'll take a break. Clown show. By the way, did you see that Mason Smith was suspended for the opener for receiving an improper benefit? I guess he went to a card show and signed at a card show, something like that. I, you have NIL now. You have you have collectives. What did this guy do wrong? <laughs> Just added to your what I thought was a very good NCAA I, rant yesterday. I, Hey, what the heck is going on here? What are we doing? 
He received an improper benefit. Somebody tell me in this NIL world and collectives what an improper benefit is today. It was stupid then. It's stupider now. I mean, I, I can't believe it. I sat back and went, for what? I mean, does anybody have any clear guidance on anything in Indianapolis? Right? And then Harbaugh gets four games negotiated. We negotiated this. And then they said, no, this isn't what we are. We're not doing this. And Michigan becomes the first group ever to reduce the sentence. But what are we doing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ah. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. If a member of the Oakland A's hit three home runs in a game, you never would have played it. <laughs> I would. Again, I probably no, wouldn't know who the player wouldn't. was, but I would play it. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't play it. And you know what the difference is between the A's and the Yankees? None. They're both in last place. Well, that's true. Right. Yes. And they both stink out loud. Okay. All right. Meanwhile, we, we have one good guy. It's a big, wide world out there, Matt. A big, wide world. There's a lot of really good players playing out there. Not just one guy who... Has a twinge in his toe. Oh, my almighty! Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Humble's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. And somebody who knows this all too well about what I'm talking about, maybe knows it better than anybody, is Alex Kazora. Alex, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah, maybe know all too well. Maybe I know too well. I know too well about uh, Mr. Matthew Catrillo there. I mean, Aaron Judge, if a guy for the A's hits three home runs and Judge gets a bunt single, we're playing the Judge highlight. (laughs) Absolutely. Some people have a bad rep. You have a great rep on the other hand. Uh, So let's get to what's going on. Look, you've been watching the Steeler camp. What have been some of the perceivable differences in what you've seen in this Steeler camp compared to the Steeler camp last year, which was the first in a long time without Ben Roethlisberger? It's an identity. It's a vision for this offense. Last year, in that first year without Ben, trying to figure out who they were, they were the youngest offense in football, and it certainly looked like that. Kenny Pickett was trying to figure out whether he was second string or third string, what his role would be, trying to get down the offense, and you see a group that has gone through all those extreme growing pains of a year ago, especially the first half of last year where they, where they were 2-6, and six, got blown up by Philadelphia, and were one of the worst teams in football. They're past those growing pains now, guys. And I don't know how good this offense will be in 2023. I don't think they're going to be a top five, top seven offense, but they are going to be far beyond what they were a year ago. They're, they're past those, those growing pains, as I said. And so the collection of 
skill position talent can he pick it second year young guys making a jump improved offensive line that is by far the most notable thing about this team this summer are you seeing any difference in approach by Matt Canada Mike Tomlin as to how they want to play offense because of the circumstances you just described I don't know if there's a radical approach. It's just more effective and more fine-tuning. And you saw that the back half of last year, the reason why they went 7-2 and two down the stretch was they ran the ball much more effectively. They played ball control. They were the best third-down offense in football, and they did not give the football away. It's such a cliche, I know, but the first half of last year, Pittsburgh, you know, they found ways to lose games. And to win a game, you have to not lose it first. And they eliminated the penalties. They eliminated the turnovers, and that's, obviously carried over this year but you've certainly seen this team be able to create some of those big explosive plays Pittsburgh's offense did not have those big plays last year and this year you're seeing 33 yards of George Pickens 62 yard run by Jalen Warren 25 yard touchdown by Pat Fryman with Calvin Austin providing big plays in the return and receiving game so you're seeing those chunk moments that just did not happen last year so I felt last year down the stretch, the Steelers did a good job of playing to Kenny Pickett's strengths, and they kept it safe and underneath. Is there a little more daring at times with this because he now has some game speed under his belt? Yeah, I would say so. I track the, the camp stats. I know they you know only mean so much, but I think you've seen some more aggressiveness. I don't think Kenny Pickett's deep ball is ever going to be anything more than average at best, but I think as you get more comfort and more chemistry with George Pickens, with Deontay Johnson, just more comfort in the system overall. Certainly last year, you know, Pittsburgh was playing pretty conservatively, trying to take care of the football and not, again, lose those games the back half of last year, and that probably had a more conservative offense that didn't take as many vertical shots. So I think this year when there's just more comfort, more trust in your quarterback and your offense as a whole, that you're going to see a more aggressive mentality. Against Buffalo, Joey Porter Jr. was able to grab an interception. What have been your thoughts on his progress in camp? It's been good. He was tripped up by an ankle injury, caused him to miss a bit of time, but he was healthy for that Bills game. I think he's been, you know, there's always going to be a line for him to walk in terms of being grabby versus, you know, utilizing his rare length, those 34-inch arms. I think he's walked that line overall well but he's been a real professional he's learned a lot for some, some from some veteran guys in this room patrick peterson minka fitzpatrick and the guy's been technically sound and made some plays and so still learning about him you know his first game was last week want to see him and probably we'll see him quite a bit tonight against atlanta but overall i've been encouraged by by his play all right so that you know that what's the read now on the overall defense what kind of difference do you think peterson makes what kind of progress have you seen from from fitzpatrick what have you seen in the linebackers yeah i mean i think you've seen a lot more turnover there defensively than you have offensively and i think pittsburgh's inside linebackers have been you know it's a completely different room when you add quan alexander and cole holcomb and mark robinson and they've been really good and they've been intense they've been physical and tone setters and you did not get that enough from the defense last year patrick peterson's going to wear a lot of different hats he's going to play slot corner and passing downs he's going to play some safety Um, He's going to be an outside corner in the team's base defense, obviously. I think the intangibles that him and offensively wide receiver Allen Robinson bring to some of those young guys, to a Joey Porter Jr., to kind of mentor him, that's a future Hall of Famer on your roster. You certainly take advantage of that if you're a rookie like Joey Porter. And then Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, he's Minka. You know, it's probably nothing new, but I think there's enough versatility defensively to be able to put him in different spots so he's not just the pure deep free safety 
and that'll be good for him, good for this defense. Yeah, what have you thought of Allen Robinson to this point since you brought his name up? I think he's everything that Pittsburgh needs him to be. You know, he's not going to be a big play guy. He's going to catch 40 passes for 400 yards and a couple of touchdowns, but he's going to move the sticks on third down. He's going to be a trusted weapon over the middle. I mean, he's only, you know, I, I thought against Buffalo, the only catch he had, it came on third and eight, and he sat down between two defenders in zone coverage, took a shot, made the catch, moved the sticks. I mean, that's what Allen Robinson's goal and job is to be in Pittsburgh. You know, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, those guys will do the big plays downfield. And then leadership as well. I mean, the way that he's mentored guys and, you know, they needed kind of that veteran figurehead in this still pretty young wide receiver room with Pickens, with Calvin Austin, with others yeah. like them. And I think Robinson can work in the red zone too. His release package is still really strong. He still beats press coverage extremely well, and, and that's going to open up some uh, short yardage opportunities for him. Alex, they're in an interesting division because there is not a dominant team in the division. The Bengals have been good, but Joe Burrow's been hurt. We don't know what kind of player we're going to get and see in Deshaun Watson because last year was so shaky after being out for such a long period of time. And Lamar Jackson can't play a full season. Is there some optimism in that camp because the division may very well be wide open? I mean, I think it was optimism for just Pittsburgh being better. I think you recognize the AFC North and the AFC at large is very difficult, but Pittsburgh can and should compete. Playoffs need to be the expectation and the goal for this team, and it's reasonable to expect that for being a 9-8 and team last year and I think getting a lot better across the board this year. So I think the Bengals have still earned the right to be the favorites. I assume that Joe Burrow is going to be ready for week one, and assuming that he is, then the Bengals are going to be the team to beat, although they have some pieces to, to replace, especially with their safety tandem of Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Those were, I think, really big losses, but um, it's competitive, and I think it's going to come down to divisional play. You know, I, I probably told you guys the stat before, but last year across the AFC North, every AFC North team went 3-3 three and three against each other, the only division to beat up on each other in that kind of fashion. And so if you can be that team that goes four and two against the north then you may be the team that comes out on top and i imagine that week 18 game for pittsburgh at baltimore the finale is going to mean a lot for both those squads and i agree that's a great point i don't think it's a great division i think it's it's a, a division that is solid but not great the afc champion in all likelihood is not coming out of this grouping yeah, I hear that. I mean, I don't know if you have the champion, although the Bengals have certainly made a lot of pushes and they're going to continue to try, but it is there, there's so much talent. There is no quote-unquote easy game. Not that there's ever an easy game in the NFL, but it's always going to be competitive. And the Browns are the wild card. You know, what Deshaun Watson are you going to get? Are you going to get the Watson of last year, the guy that, you know, didn't look uh, that great, obviously, all the rush that he had? Or will you get the prime Houston Texans top five quarterback in football, Deshaun Watson? If he's that kind of guy, then watch out for the Browns. Their defense is better. They have Nick Chubb. The O-line hopefully stays healthy. The receivers have gotten better. You add Cedric Tillman into that mix. So I think to me, you know, I think the Bengals are who they are. The Ravens are generally who they are. I think Pittsburgh's development is kind of a wild card. And then certainly Deshaun Watson is going to be the true wild card to determine how the AFC North shakes out. There is obviously, uh, with preseason games, you'll get the overreactions. And the flavor of the moment in the overreaction world is the, the run that Warren had. Now, Warren was very good last year. Not great, but very good. Where do you think he fits in with all this, especially with Harris? 
You're right. There's been a lot of debate about that in Steelers land over the last couple of days. You know, who's better? Who's the guy? I, I generally tune a lot of that stuff out. But to answer your question, here's what Jalen Warren's role in 2023 will be. He'll be in the third down back. That's what he was last year. So in pass protection situations, he's going to be the guy. He did a really good job there last season. And he will rotate with Najee Harris on early downs. Now, what exactly that split looks like? Is it 70-30, 65-35? We'll have to wait and see. It'll probably a bit be a bit game-dependent. I know that Warren has gotten all the attention. He's had a really good camp. He's a really fun player to watch. But I would just say that Pittsburgh has been deliberately protective of Najee Harris. The only goal the Steelers have had with Najee Harris this summer is get him healthy to week one. He got hurt in camp last year, was hampered by a toe injury the first half of the season, looked better after the bye when he got healthier. So Pittsburgh's only goal this year with Najee Harris was to make sure he's 100% and ready for week one against the 49ers. That's why you're hearing less about Najee Harris this summer. What do you think of Warren as a player? I like him. I love the story. I, I, I'm a sucker, Steve, for guys with his kind of story. <laughs> Snow College to Utah State to Oklahoma State. Got a $12,000 signing bonus to come to Pittsburgh and undrafted for agent that looked great last camp and made the team and is just true salt of the earth, work his way up the ladder type of dude. He's intense. He's competitive on special teams in the run game and pass protection. He's a really fun player. And you're right. I mean, I think he does offer more explosiveness and more big playability than Najee Harris. But I'm just happy that Pittsburgh has two talented backs for a run-focused offense. That's going to be a good thing for them, a good thing for this team. And so to me, it's not either or between Harris and Warren. It's both and. And it's really exciting to have two talented guys on this team. We know what this team's record is with and without T.J. Watt. What kind of camp has he had? It's been good. Not that I spend a lot of time on T.J. Watt because I know T.J. Watt is good, and I'm looking at the other guys, but obviously he's been healthy, and, and that's just the main you know thing with him, as you mentioned, whenever he's healthy, Pittsburgh wins. When he's not, they lose. But I think the important thing to that position is the depth is much better. One re- Not that you ever replace T.J. Watt, but one reason why the, the defense stunk so much without him, they just had no depth behind him. You know, you sign a veteran like Marcus Golden, and I'm sure you've seen clips of uh, Nick Herbig in the summer, he's having the rookie mm-hmm. from Wisconsin just been dynamite. And so I think Pittsburgh feels much better about their depth behind watch should something happen again in the short term. They're much better protected. Yeah, and that's a big part of it because they need that. Again, such a swing with them as to how they play. I want to ask you about Herbig because when he was at Wisconsin, they played Penn State. Really liked him. Thought he was a solid, rock-solid linebacker that plays the run well. And then, to his credit, not just plays the run well, but he's not that bad in the past. What have you thought about this young guy? He's been excellent. And I'll I'll eat some crow here because when they drafted him, I thought he might have to move off ball. Not because he was too short, but because of the lack of length. Uh, Whatever, he's got 32-inch arms. And you wonder how well that would play in Pittsburgh. But so far, yeah, it's not been a concern. I think you're right. The run defense has been good, but... Uh, the athleticism, the explosiveness, the bend that he has to dip the corner and stay balanced and, and make plays in the football. And, I mean, this guy has just been a sponge to T.J. Watt, trying to learn everything that he can, and he absorbs it and applies it well. He's got a really good football IQ. So um, you see why Pittsburgh wanted to make him that pick. And, again, I think he's going to add some really quality edge depth to this to this roster. I mean, everybody talks about athletes, uh, and he is he's good enough as an athlete, but he's a football player. And as for the arm length, so everybody understands, that's really important in this league to get off blockers. Yep. And I'll take you back to one of the great college players out there from the 80s named Mike Ruth, who was just, he was an Outland Trophy winner, Boston College, tremendous. And what was his downfall going to the league? He didn't have long arms. 
he could not get off NFL blockers. Yeah, and with Herbig, you know, there's a similar concern there, but because he's been so athletic and so technical and so smart, he's almost gone around blockers as opposed to, to trying to go through them. So there are outliers, and I think most guys with his length would struggle, but, you know, the NFL is full of those outliers. It's a different conversation, but, you know, you think back to, and I'm going way back here, kind of like you, but Jack Lambert was this really tall, skinny linebacker mm-hmm. from Kent State. Ted Hendricks was six six and playing middle linebacker, yeah. I and mean, those kind of guys, you know, made it work because they were just that talented and that smart. You know, Hendricks and Lambert were super high football IQ kind of guys and obviously extremely tough and Herbig's not not Lambert I'm not calling him that obviously but just there are outliers that work with different body types and that's what the NFL is all about one last question it's about Matt (laughs) okay did he often refer to either coaches or other athletes as stupid back in college he did, and a lot of other words I can't repeat on the radio right now. So that was uh, that was his go-to word. For any decision, big and small, stupid was uh, often coming out of his mouth. Alex, always brilliant. Anything that you were saying along the way. We appreciate it very much. Great analysis, and uh, we'll look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, guys. Take care. <laughs> what? What is so funny? What? It's so just, funny. he's right. <laughs> he's right. I own it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you have, I, I, what, what is your saying? Um, something I don't do stupid or something like that. What is your saying? Oh, I don't tolerate stupid. I don't tolerate stupid. <laughs> Yet you go to our staff meetings. All right, well, we'll come back. <laughs> Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Uh, some, of the, some of the jokes are too easy. We'll come back with more in a moment. Coming up tomorrow, 206, Jerry Allen, the play-by-play voice of Oregon. We're going to get his perspective on the move to the Big Ten next year. And then we'll talk a little bit about what is a very talented Oregon team this year for Dan Lanning. But we'll talk to Jerry Allen tomorrow on the show. We've been Matt has worked his backside off to get Jerry. And, and, and it was just a case of, like, like uh, we can't find him. Anything. No, Matt had to go through a lot just to get to the connection to ask Jerry, and as soon as Jerry found out we that we wanted him on the show, he said yes right away. It just took a lot of work for Matt to to find him and get to him uh, through the athletic department, through their sports information staff, things like that. Matt did a great job because we already had Tony on from Washington, and Tony was tremendous. So we're going to follow it up with uh, Oregon tomorrow. When we talk about Jerry Allen joining us on the show tomorrow, I think the audience, because it is the Pac-12 and Penn State hasn't played Oregon in anything uh, since the 95 Rose Bowl, may not realize what an absolute legend this man is. He's in his 37th season doing the play-by-play of Oregon football. He has broadcast over 400 games in his career there. He did basketball for a long time. He finally gave that up. And... He's a lifelong Oregonian. And in that part of the world, he is very, very special. 
And we're fortunate to get him on the show tomorrow to talk about this move because he has had a phenomenal career. He's called some of the greatest moments, and we'll get him on the show tomorrow against probably somebody you have not heard of unless unless you have followed Oregon football closely. But for those of us in the business, Jerry has earned the right to be have legendary status. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 to 15 in Hummel's Wharf.